Living in a home on wheels was huge in the 1960s, and in recent years, the lifestyle has made a comeback. More and more people are converting vehicles into homes and taking up a nomadic lifestyle. And a lot of these people are documenting their van life online. Hashtag van life has been used over 8 million times on Instagram. And it seems like these days there are zillions of YouTube channels, Instagram accounts, TikTok accounts, and more that feature the nomadic lifestyles of van lifers. But as we've touched on before in the podcast, like when we spoke with adventurous Mario Rigby, outdoor media is super white. It's oversaturated with the narratives of white, cis, straight, thin, and able-bodied people. And that narrative does not represent the modern nomadic movement. Today, we're going to dive into hashtag van life with Naomi Grevenberg. Naomi is a writer, podcaster, and activist. She hosts the podcast Nomads at the Intersection, and she is the founder of the community organization called Diversify Van Life. She has been living nomadically for almost five years. Naomi is going to answer some of our burning questions about the nomad lifestyle. We'll discuss how the lifestyle is often idealized and the importance of diversifying the nomad community. Let's get started. Hi, I'm Naomi Grevenberg. I am the founder of Diversify Van Life and the new host of the podcast Nomads at the Intersections. You can find more about me on my personal platform on Instagram at Irie to Aurora. So I've done short stints living in vehicles, mainly for road trips here and there across British Columbia. I've also done one in Oregon. And while I've had a blast on these trips, I'm not sure that that I could personally hack the lifestyle long term. I'm curious about how you got started living nomadically. What inspired you to start living in a van? Well, growing up on the island of Trinidad, I always I, I was always intrigued by documentaries of the American landscape. I remember watching National Geographic documentaries about places like Yellowstone National Park and Yosemite and so many others. So, I mean, it's been a lifelong dream of mine to travel the country and visit all these national parks. The day my partner and I met, we I shared this dream with him. But to be honest, it just seemed like such a far-fetched, you know, dream to travel around freely and just visit all these national parks and spend time in the outdoors. I guess it was, it just seemed like one of those things, um, destined to only live in my fantasies. Fast forward five years and him and I were both pretty disillusioned and unfulfilled with the lives we were living. Um, the nine to five career jobs, daily grind. It felt like we were living someone else's idea of happiness. So we decided to dig up an old dream. We laid all the cards out on the table, bought a van, and made the leap. Originally, we had only planned to do it for one year, just have a one-year road trip. But here we are, still counting the years. I mean, America is a a pretty big place. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think you could travel for years on end and still not see everything. Agreed. (laughs) What were your biggest fears in diving into this lifestyle? Wow, biggest fears. I would say my biggest fear was leaving behind my career. Yeah, I mean, we're conditioned um, to live life a certain way, right? Everything is structured. You 
you graduate high school, you go to college, you get a degree, you get married, you buy the house, you have the kids, the you know, new car, you know, you retire, and then you enjoy life. That was the biggest fear. It's like, you know, being attached to these identities of like who I am and, you know, this career that I build my life around, my, my identity around. So, so I think the uncertainty of that and, you know, just how my friends and family viewed me after giving that up to travel in a van. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I guess like for lack of a better word, I'm just going to, I'm going to drop a pen. There's no roadmap to that lifestyle. Like there is for this more like prescribed path of life that you described, like the nine to five job and having children and getting married and buying a house and all of that. When there's no roadmap to it, it feels a little scarier to embrace it. I think like one of the things that would scare me personally a little bit about um, taking on a nomadic lifestyle is the skills that's required to live this way. I'm curious about what skills are important to sustain life in a vehicle. I'm guessing there are camping skills, but there's also maintenance that needs to be done on the vehicle. What skills would you say are essential? And did you have them? Are these things that you learned? Or how did you sort of navigate that aspect of nomadic life? I think it's a combination of all of those things. For me, you know, uh, I feel like like that will eventually come. Um, and, and it did for me. I didn't know anything about camping un- until I started doing it. But the more I spent time in nature, hiking, camping, backpacking, the more I was able to hone those skills. It wasn't always a pretty thing in the beginning. I was an amateur and it showed, but that it didn't matter because I was doing something I enjoyed. Uh, I feel like there's no wrong way to do the outdoors. And this is a message that I try my best to share with people because I feel like many people, many of us who haven't really been exposed to the outdoors or didn't have access to it growing up tend to be intimidated by the idea. I immersed myself in it and I made many mistakes, but over the years I acquired skills that I needed to sustain myself. Um, my partner, on the other hand, was already a skilled mechanic, um, well, skilled at mechanics. So we were really fortunate there because breakdowns are inevitable when you live a life of travel. And having basic mechanic skills, I think, is really, really essential, um, especially when you're in the middle of nowhere, broken down with no cell service. Yeah, totally. And I guess like your partner's um, mechanic skills must have helped with converting your vehicle as well. Did you guys purchase a vehicle that was already set up for van life or was it converted? Um, We actually bought something that was already um, converted. We have a Volkswagen Fanagon campmobile, which came equipped from the factory with almost everything you need for life on the road. For us, it was the perfect camper van. Um, it's a 1985 Volkswagen Westphalia. So we acquired it. It was already like 30 years old, <laughs> over 30 years old. Wow. I know that some van lifers use RVs, but others use vehicles that have been co- converted into livable homes. So I've seen like school buses, vintage vans like yours. I've seen even cars. What would you say are the main challenges of converting a vehicle into a living space? Were there any like changes that you made to your Westphalia to make it livable? Oh, yeah, we did so many upgrades um, to it over the years and a lot of maintenance to keep it on the road. Eventually, we do want to do our own conversion. But I feel like one of the biggest uh, challenges to that would be 
Um, finding the right rig. I guess it's tough to know what your needs are until you're actually living it, which I feel is the reason why um, so many people after a few years living on the road, they do a second conversion. But I think one of the most important things for folks to keep in mind um, when doing conversions or wanting to do a conversion is that you don't have to spend $60,000 on a van build, unless, of course, you can afford it and you want to. I feel like that's the narrative that is perpetuated a lot um, in the road travel community, that you have to have this beautiful, picturesque build that you see all over Instagram. And I mean, I love that stuff. I eat it up. But that's not the case for most people living this lifestyle. You can do a conversion on a budget. And from what I've heard from friends who have done van conversions, you should set a budget because if you don't, you can end up spending much more than you set out to. I feel like it's important um, to solidify the things that are important to you, like whether that's having headroom for standing, storage space for gear, extra solar to charge all your devices. You ask yourself, do I need a fridge or would a cooler suit my need? Then you budget and design your rig around the specific needs that you desire. At least that's how we plan to do ours. <laughs> right, right. Because I guess like everyone will have unique needs. Like you say, like some people are very comfortable um, just storing their food in a cooler, whereas others will want to like travel. I guess if you're traveling to a more remote location, you might need a working fridge to preserve your food. Yeah, exactly. Um, I have a couple questions that our listeners submitted. So one of the big questions, I'm sure you get this a lot, was about hygiene. Um, do you have a shower or a bathroom in your van? How do you take care of hygiene? Yeah, well, yeah, that's a, that's a good one. I feel like that's like one of the most common questions we get <laughs> since living on the road. Um, people get really nervous a, a, about the idea of hygiene on the road. But I always say you'll figure it out. Um, my partner and I do have a shower. Um, it's a road shower. It's built onto the roof of our van and it holds about five gallons of water. But to be honest, like we don't really use it that often because there are so many options for showers on the road. I mean, we actually use it only for emergencies. Um, we go to rec centers, gyms, campgrounds, RV parks. During hot summer months, we find swimming holes. And when the going gets tough, a bowl shower works just fine in between full showers. You know, but also I've learned that we don't really need a shower every day. In the Western world, I feel like we've become so accustomed to showering at least once per day, but I really feel like it's, it's unnecessary. I mean, it's t it was tough at first, but your body really adjusts. And I think the longest I've gone without a full shower is about 10 days. <laughs> and it sounds, it sounds a lot worse than it actually is. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know. I only shower like once every three or four days and my partner thinks it's disgusting, but I tell him like my body is just adjusted to this and I, I know that I don't smell bad or anything, so I don't see why I need to. Yeah, no, I agree. People get really freaked out by the idea. <laughs> yeah. So the other question we got was about internet. Obviously, you're using the internet a lot for your podcast and for your other projects. Um, how do you take care of accessing internet when you're on the road? Well, that one was a bit uh, of a tougher issue to tackle, especially as, you know, like you said, uh, to being digital nomads, like we need to have access to that. 
it's something that, you know, my partner and I write about on our website on com. We have unlimited data plans and we use our cell phones as hotspots for work. Though, like I said, it's tricky because sometimes we get, you know, throttled at a certain point. There are some campsites that it's just outside a cell phone range and we're able to use a cell phone booster to extend the range of that. And sometimes we just have to live with less than, you know, stellar camping when we have to, to get work done. But if we need actual Wi-Fi, we'll go to like library or, but again, with COVID, like these options have been pretty limited. Right. And I guess there's like a lot of organization involved, especially if you know that there's work that you need to be doing, then do you sort of plan your travel around, okay, at this time, we're going to need to like be working on this project. So we need a campsite that has internet. Yes, actually, we have been doing that lately, especially with my new podcast, I need to have good service. So um, yeah, we tend to like, sometimes we've even gone as far as like renting a hotel room <laughs> to get some good service, stopping at friends houses and using their Wi Fi for a couple of days. Yeah. So yeah, we're really intentional about um, how we schedule our work. And so what are some surprising aspects of van life? Um, maybe some of the non glamorous or challenging aspects? Hmm. I feel like um, you can take your pick, really. <laughs> I'd say um, sharing close quarters with another human. It's not glamorous and very challenging at times. I feel like that's a big one. I mean, we're together 24-7 in a tiny space. I mean, you really get to know each other, you know, because we're, we're entirely separate people with unique personalities. To intertwine that so closely is no easy feat. But I mean, to be honest, van life is not nearly as glamorous as it seems. There are challenges at every turn, but for me, it's totally worth it. I think the close quarters aspect is very relatable, especially right now with COVID, with a lot of couples and roommates being forced to stay inside their apartments long term. I think it really points to how difficult it can be to coexist with another human, despite like loving them. And that's something that I've personally experienced. Like my partner and I have become very good at communicating to each other when we need space or when we just need time apart, which is totally natural. Yeah, I yeah, I have to agree. I've, I've had many friends sharing their, their COVID uh, partner uh, roommate experiences. And yeah, my partner and I, we kind of giggle sometimes. We're like, well, we're ready for this. (laughs) (laughs) Are there any stereotypes about the nomad lifestyle that you'd like to smash right off the top? Oh, yeah. Well, the first one that comes to mind immediately is that black people don't live nomadically or do van life or like the outdoors. This is, you know, one that I've, I've heard way too often and I think it's become my mission to smash it. Yeah, for, fortunately, I think uh, people of color and other POCs are becoming to recognize these are false. And it would be more accurate to say that black people have not have access to, the, to this lifestyle due to segregation, lack of access and racism. But I mean, despite, you know, the stereotypes, we are out here and we're living fan life and enjoying the outdoors. And one of the things that I'm extremely proud of is that the diversified fan life with Diversify Van Life, we've been able to really shine a light and create a space where these stereotypes don't exist. 
Yeah, and it seems to me like diversify van life, a lot of it is just showing like showing representation in the space, proving that like there are BIPOC in this space. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You mentioned on your podcast, Nomads at the Intersection, that for a long time you were one of the only women of color represented in mainstream van life media. And it took you some time to recognize the impact that this had on your emotional and mental well-being, as well as how you see yourself in the world and how you navigate these spaces. Could you share with us a bit about the experience of realizing how underrepresented people like yourself and other POC are in the community? Well, I feel like I can I can speak to my experience because everyone's experience is unique, especially since we all exist at different intersections. Though I feel like most people who are underrepresented can agree that it's alienating. It creates a culture that is unsafe and unwelcoming. And I feel like no matter how nice people are, you know, it's just one of those things that's... Um, that I always felt. I always felt alienated. I always felt, you know, really lonely. How have you navigated that sense of loneliness and alienation? Diversify van life. (laughs) Yes, I've really leaned into community during these times. Yeah, I feel like it was just uh, so many emotions behind that from loneliness, isolation, you know, fear, anger, rage, and I took all that and I channeled it into Diversify Van Life, creating a space for underrepresented people, BIPOCs, um, disabled community members, the voices that you don't often hear. And, you know, it's a beautiful thing to see how this community has mobilized around the Diversify Van Life movement, and we're creating our own spaces. You've mentioned on your show how you live at the intersections of many identities, and you mentioned that just now as well. And you mentioned how this identity is unique, especially when compared to the dominant narratives and portrayal of van life that we see online. And we touched on this a little bit already, but I think it's important to dive into a bit more. We often see a very glamorized version of nomad life, this narrative of people who just quit their job and sold all their belongings and poured thousands of dollars into a custom-built or renovated van. I get the sense that this portrayal of nomad life is inaccurate and can potentially be damaging. Would you say that that is the case? Yeah, absolutely. I feel like mainstream van life has always been portrayed as the white, cis, straight, able-bodied, gorgeous couples in, in beautiful built-out rigs living this lifestyle. And that dominant narrative is untrue for the most part. And this narrative also creates a barrier to entry for folks who don't fit that mold, but want to pursue this lifestyle. And it sets these inaccurately high and often unattainable standards of how this lifestyle is done and who, you know, is welcomed into these spaces. It's one of those things that uh, Diversify Van Life is setting out to shift that particular narrative. Yeah, and I can really feel that, like, just scrolling through the Instagram page for Diversify Van Life, because, like, admittedly, my only personal exposure to van life was, like, what I saw on Instagram, which, like, as you say, was mostly, like, beautiful white couples in, like, Pinterest-perfect vans. And 
I think that seeing that like you can live in a van that isn't renovated, that isn't perfect, that might just have a cooler for your food, um, seeing that that is a possibility makes it feel so much more attainable. Yeah, I mean, representation matters when when you see people, you know, like yourself doing it and doing it their way, it feels much more reachable. I think there's also the danger of idealizing van life, that it obscures homelessness and poverty. Um, I did a little research just to see some numbers on this, and I was reading that the gentrification of neighborhoods and the affordable housing crisis across North, North America means that more and more people have no choice but to live in their vehicle. Um, so, for example, according to the Los Angeles Homeless Services Authority, in 2019, 16,500 people in Los Angeles were living in their van, car, or RV. And of course, homelessness disproportionately impacts BIPOC. So we can assume that many of these people are BIPOC. I'm curious your thoughts on this sort of disparity and what van lifers can do to help bring visibility to it. Yeah. Personally, like, I don't want to tell people what they should and should not do. Because, you know, like I said, there's no wrong way to do van life. But obviously, there's a privilege to living this lifestyle, especially if you're living this way by choice. And we can't separate ourselves from those who are living this way out of necessity. They are a part of our community as well. And it is our responsibility as a community to create a safe space where everyone is welcomed regardless of race, gender, sexuality, socioeconomic status. And I feel like, you know, a broken record sometime when I say this, but it's not going to happen without intentionality. And what are ways that people in the community can live in that intentionality in the way that they participate in the community? I, well, there are many ways that people can do that. I mean, you know, pay attention, listen to BIPOC, you know, participate in the conversations we're having over at Diversify Van Life. Check your privilege, first of all. And I feel like it's really important for us to, to be conscious of the content that we're putting out there and, and the, the image and the, the high standards they're setting. Educate ourselves on other people's experiences. Empathy goes a long way. I think like something I've personally learned like as a white woman in the travel space, especially in the last few months, is like the importance of just listening and listening without feeling the need to say something or respond or like have an opinion, just like doing the work to empathetically listen. That's such an important thing, especially now more than ever. So just searching the van life hashtag, you can see that the influencers that have a lot of visibility are mostly white. And these are the people that are getting partnerships and sponsorships that fund their lifestyle. So I think this really points to how the outdoor industry is playing a role in the portrayal of whiteness in the nomad community. What role do you think that businesses or brands that are partnering with nomads, what role do they have or what responsibility do they have in perpetuating the dominant narratives that we're seeing? Yeah. Well, I mean, the road travel community is a niche community of the outdoor industry. 
And I do believe that the whitewash narrative in the outdoor industry plays a big role in perpetuating these narratives in the road travel community. Um, I feel like the outdoor industry has long set these um, standards for what it means to be outdoorsy and how it's done with the pricey gear made for specific body types, perpetuating the white cis fit able-bodied narrative. Again, it, it defaults to being exclusive, leaving out people who don't fit the mold. Yeah, totally. And I think there's like such a barrier of access, especially when it comes to equipment. I've noticed this like in Canada, of course, there's like such an outdoor community and um, there's this obsession with having like the latest gear or I know like the first time I personally went camping, I felt like I didn't belong there because I didn't have all this fancy gear that the campsites around me had. So I think it's like a very present issue. Are there brands that are like partnering specifically with the nomad community that are perpetuating this? I I do believe so. Um, But there are also many brands who are working very, very hard to, um, to recognize where they went wrong and they're trying to shift that narrative. I've seen it a lot this year with everyone being so outspoken with the uprising and the racial reckoning that's happening. There are some brands in particular who I work with and I will continue to work with because they are actively doing the work to, you know, shift the narrative. Yeah. So van lifers that have a platform, are there things that they can be doing to support diversifying the space given like the the breadth of their platform? Absolutely. I think I've had this conversation a lot this year with many van lifers um, and road travelers with these large platforms. I mean, I feel like it's important for them to use their platforms and amplify the work of uh, BIPOCs as a community, talk to other uh, BIPOCs in this space, share insights on influencing. This was one of the things that I struggled with when I first started. It felt like this there was this unwritten rule where you just don't talk about how to land brand partnerships and you certainly don't talk about how much to charge. And this creates a culture not unlike that in our society as a whole, where those with the privilege rise and those without struggle. And I feel like this continues to perpetuate white supremacy and systems of oppression. So I feel like, you know, in order to level the playing field, like these are conversations we need to have. And the influencers with the big platforms, I think if they want to help, they would use their, their platforms and their voice and their space and you know, their audiences to help amplify the work that BIPOCs are doing in the community and amplify their work. You know, there are a lot of incredible BIPOC creatives within our community that are struggling to be seen in this space. And if we are to level the playing field, this is one of the ways that they can do it. Mm -hmm. So are you suggesting like that um, influencers with large platforms, if they're like looking to partner with a brand and that brand is asking like, do you have contacts within the community? Influencers can and should be naming BIPOC creators in the space as well. Like that's a way that they can actionably um, diversify the space. Yes, absolutely. And then like that goes a bit into the direction of allyship. I think in recent months, there's been a lot of, I think, valuable discussion about how allyship is 
continued work and there's no finish line. There's definitely no moment where a person has officially become an ally. Could you share with us your thoughts on allyship and maybe some advice for white people or all people who are listening and want to be allies? Yeah, I feel like at this point, we're kind of way past allyship, though I'm not saying it's not important. But BIPOCs need co-conspirators. We need action for folks to, to stand on the front lines and help upend the status quo. And this is about really challenging ourselves in the movement to end white supremacy and level the playing field, leveraging our privileges in commitment to the fight. And that often means taking risks, losing status and friendship and so much more. You know, being a co-conspirator and even being an ally, it's it's not a part-time gig. And I feel like it's kind of shifted, like the whole concept of allyship, you know, has been kind of watered down that people, people use it, you know, to say that, you know, this is important to them, but it's a part-time gig. But like Rachel Cargill said, this is not self-improvement work for white people. Like we need people to, to be committed to this. Yeah, I think like sometimes it can go into dangerous territory where white people are engaging um, with allyship because like like Rachel Cargill says, it's about like making yourself feel um, good when that movement isn't actually about this. It's about like actually working towards proper equality like in the space. Exactly. Are there like specific concerns you have for allyship within the context of the nomad community specifically? Well, I mean, yeah, there are a lot that, that nomads within our community can do. They can follow Diversify Van Life, participate in the conversations we're having there, listen and learn from the underrepresented voices in the community, donate, amplify to the work we're doing, support the work of BIPOC creatives, listen to our podcasts and encourage, you know, friends and loved ones to do the same. But again, I mean, I feel like I, I can't tell white people how to be allies, because at this point, there's just no more excuses. You know, no more heads in the sand. If someone wants to be an ally, I think that they will. I feel like it's really important, you know, if, you know, someone is looking for, you know, some direction, they should look to other allies. Yeah. And on that note, I think it's like really important to emphasize how, like the work involved in educating white people about allyship and about the struggles that BIPOC are facing. I think a lot of the time people expect this education for free. Yeah, and I think it's really important for people to recognize that when you're asking BIPOCs to educate you, you're asking us to relive trauma. You know, you should at least compensate, at the very least, compensate BIPOCs for the work of educating you. Um, So you've been engaged in activism in the space for several years. I wanted to ask how you feel about the space now. Do you feel that progress is being made? And are you hopeful moving forward? Absolutely. I'm very hopeful. Uh, I feel like hope is what keeps us going, right? We, We have to keep the faith. I feel like representation is finally starting to shift to include more diverse voices and stories. I think that it's going to be hugely impactful in, you know, the niche community of fan life and and road travel and for the outdoor community as a whole. 
representation has a really powerful in, impact on on communities in general. And I feel like we have to continue to push for it. I feel like we are continuing to push for it um, as a community as a whole. I see more and more people speaking up and using their platforms and participating in the conversation. It's something that we have to continue to value. So yes, I, I am very hopeful. I'm glad. I actually was hoping we could ask you to share maybe a positive memory you have of life on the road. So maybe like your favorite national park or just a fun story. Yeah. Something that I always go back to when I, when I need reminding of why I live this way. We were, my partner and I were six months into van life at this point. And I feel like it was probably the lowest I've ever felt <laughs> since being on the road. I was really depressed. Um, uncertainty was at every corner. And um, we were somewhere camped outside of Yellowstone National Park. And Yellowstone is a really special place for me because I feel like it's a place where I ask myself, a lot of the hard questions and we were in the van it was really cold there was an imminent snowstorm approaching I was wearing everything I had in the van under the sheets just feeling really really sad at this point I was going through some anxiety and depression and I was scrolling through Instagram and I saw that there was a van gathering in Bend Oregon I told my partner, I'm like, there's a van gathering in Bend, Oregon. And he said, well, okay, well, should we go? I mean, at this point, we didn't know what we were going to do. Winter was approaching and, you know, we were just so lost, uh, wondering what the hell we were doing with our lives. And we decided to pack up the van and head out west. And we did. And that was when we found community on the road. That was the van gathering where we found like-minded individuals, where we realized that what we were doing wasn't wrong. We were creating our own lives and our life on the road went from a one year road trip to full on van life. It changed everything for me. I got the confidence to say, okay, this is all right. Like I'm doing something for myself. I'm designing the life that I want to live. And I've been going ever since. <laughs> do you think that van life will take you abroad eventually? Or do you expect you'll continue traveling around the USA? Well, we've done van life Australia. Um, we did it for one month. And that was really, really incredible. Australia is such a beautiful place. Um, I would eventually, you know, maybe after COVID, whenever that may be, um, yeah, maybe explore van life, um, Italy, you know, or Europe, but I don't know, maybe I'm open to it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so like, it's funny because I've, I'm not part of this community, really. I just observe online. And when you talk about like the community aspect of it, and these van meetups, it's just something that I don't see a lot, like in the media associated with van life. So it's really nice to hear that there's such a, not just an online community, but an in-person community where people are showing up and um, sharing, sharing their love of the lifestyle. Yeah, the past, 
I think it was the year before and last year, there were a lot more um, in-person events and they're just incredible. Diversify Van Life hopefully soon will be able to have some in-person events, but we've been focusing a lot since COVID on virtual events. So we've had three already and they've been very successful. People show up to them. So hopefully soon we'll be able to have some Diversify Van Life gatherings in person. And so to wrap up, do you want to just share where people can find you? Yeah, um, you can find me at um, on Instagram at Aurora at diversify.vanlife and also on my podcast, uh, Nomads at the Intersections. I'll Pack My Bags is written and hosted by me, Erin Hines, and it's produced by Katie Lore. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, go ahead and leave a review on your podcast app or show us your love on Patreon. Pledging $5 a month or more directly supports the making of this show. The link to our Patreon is in the show notes. That's all for now, Alpaca Pals. I'll talk to you again in two weeks, and I hope you all get to alpaca your bags safely and soon. Bye.